0: You're live on The Talking Point at 6 after 10. A pleasure to have you with us this morning. Of course, uh, we're continuing the conversation. We're going to be speaking to uh, the Western Cape Premier, Alan Windy. They're now talking about that province, having seen the worst of uh, the virus in terms of the current peak and conversations now getting started about whether they can start to ease some of the lockdown regulations. Uh, So he'll be joining us shortly. And... We were scheduled to speak to NASFAS, right? It's been day two that this conversation has been down on the agenda. We, of course, want to get clarity on what happens with um, the student funding, especially for those who are receiving monies from NASFAS. I don't know. It. I don't know if that interview is going to go ahead because it looks like for a second day now, uh, we are going to be given the runaround. I'll keep you posted, though, and um, yeah, I- I'll let you know what what happens in in that regard. For now, let's begin with the Western Cape Premier Alan Windy is on the line, and he said, uh, uh, "Premier Windy, good morning. A pleasure to have you on."
1: Thank you very much, Kathy. Good to be with you.
0: Now. The Western Cape, for uh, of course, for the last couple of weeks has really been in the height of uh, the COVID-19 infections in terms of the second peak. What makes you believe that you are over that now? What are the markers that you're using?
1: So obviously what we do is we track very closely a whole range of markers um, from infections to hospitalizations to deaths uh, to oxygen use to the repatriation the R rate or the reproduction rate of the virus, and so if you you know we obviously have a, a sort of overall look at these indicators, and um, I mean first of all the second wave for us has been uh, you know much worse than the first wave. The 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 overall percentages are pretty similar, but it's just that it's much more infectious, and that means that we our numbers were were much higher. Um, but if I look at our, those indicators, so now our test positivity rate is now dropped below 30%. You know, it was at 55% uh, during the, or the lead up to the peak uh, and just just constantly over the last two weeks started to come down. Uh, as I've said, the reproduction rate, that's, uh, that's sort of for every infected person, how many more do you infect? And of course, that's now come down less than one, which is exactly what we've been looking for now over the last few weeks. Uh, Same thing with our oxygen supply. Uh, The second time around, we used so much more oxygen than ever before. Uh, I mean, as as an indicator, we normally on a normal day use around 12 tons of oxygen across the province per day. Uh, We went over 80 tons per day uh, in this peak. In the height of the first wave, uh, 27 tons per day was the maximum we used. So you can see the, the exponential growth and pressure on our hospital system. And, of course, uh, all of those pressures on our system, that's what led us to say uh, to in our engagements uh, just before the end of the year uh, with uh, Minister mkise to say, Minister, we, we need to also put further restrictions in place um, so that we can make sure that we manage ourselves through the peak, uh, we manage our hospitals. Because the, the most important thing is you can't run out of, out of your hospital beds, you can't run out of oxygen, and of course, there's a whole lot of inhibiting factors. Those, that's uh, that's the beds themselves, and even more important, it's your frontline workers. Uh, we also saw, and that's also an indicator, frontline workers themselves, um, you know, being infected and uh, being put in quarantine, uh, and even uh, tragically u- losing a, a number of frontline mm. workers. So, mm. so, but we even Premier Wendy. Yep.
0: Oh, we lost you for a bit there. Uh, what, oh, was I'm the sorry. Last, uh, what was the last thing that you said?
1: I I was speaking about uh, our health workers and uh, the pressure on them themselves and, mm. and infections amongst the health workers. Uh, but we're also seeing those numbers come down again. So so the, you know, the indicators are all there that uh, we've gone through our peak. Um, obviously, there are, there are two things that lag. Even if you go past the peak, uh, the one is deaths. Unfortunately, they don't uh, correlate exactly because uh, people that are infected or are sick, um, you still get a lag. So you will still see death numbers, you know, over the next uh, week or so. But even there, those numbers are also also down. And of course, our hospital beds—we we've maintained a plateau in hospital beds for quite a, a while now. Um, but all of those other indicators mean that the, that those beds are going to come down. I also was a little bit worried about people getting back to work. Um, You know, that movement, people after the the sort of festive season time when people move again around uh, the country and the province, is that going to have an impact on numbers? But uh, we haven't seen we haven't seen that uh, that impact at all.
0: Of course, one of the challenges that that you face is specifically around the deaths in the hospital beds. Many of the experts that have been looking into uh, COVID-19 have been telling us for some months now that they actually look at the hospital admissions and the number of deaths that are taking place as a true determinant of whether um, an area has Totally overcome, um, you know, the the, the COVID nineteen peak, or as a true state state of affairs, and those remain relatively high in the Western Cape.
1: Okay, well, the deaths now are starting to come down, but I agree, because they are fixed. You know, when you talk about uh, infections, um, you know, it depends on how many tests you're doing, and we also know that generally in the peak. You can't test everybody. You just don't have the capability or the capacity. Mm. Although I must say that uh, uh, really encouraged to see how many new testing stations have opened up uh, across the region. Uh, many of these drive-throughs that have been opening up, and still uh, one even opened up yesterday. Um, and, and we've been seeing that over the last while. Many more drive-through testing facilities. But even there, that you know, it's not that accurate. And of course, asymptomatic, you, we don't test, so we don't know. Um, but yes, I agree. But uh, if you look at all of the indicators, you know the, the, the lag in those uh, those two, the deaths and the and the hospital beds, which I spoke about, you know they follow on those other indicators. So, so we have uh, we have really no no. Um, I mean, all of those uh, percentages drops. Remember, initially we said if it's growing more than twenty percent. Well, there's there's only two growth areas at the moment. Uh, the one is at naught mean, percent meanwhile, uh, that's up in the West Coast, and another one at, uh, at 14%. Mm-hmm. So even those indicators, those are hospital bed indicators, which are the true indicators. Those are the only two that are ones at 0 and ones at 15%. At uh, everyone's below 20 and in actual fact, every other one, every other indicator is in the negative now. So... so, so, so. And,
0: so, Premier, would you not need them? And, 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 I, and I understand that this, uh, these numbers in and of themselves provide a great a sense of, of optimism, of optimism rather, which is what is needed, right? But do you not need them to drop much further than where they are right now?
1: No, I don't think so. You see, the problem is that, um, you know, you, we, we have to develop a new normal because there's going to be a third wave. And there could very well be a fourth wave and even a fifth wave, depending on how quickly we get vaccines into the system, Um, any other new health mechanism that we work out, and, of course, what is the new norm. Our problem is that uh, we could say, well, fine, let's just follow lockdown and just lock everything up because that's the sure way of slowing the spread. Quite frankly, the second pandemic then becomes so bad that uh, it will... Dwarf the, the the negatives of of COVID nineteen, um, the number of uh, of people moving in below the poverty line, uh, the pressure that that's putting on the system, the total sort of the brink of almost total collapse of the economy, means that uh, you know that there's a whole lot of other even health implications that come with it, uh, let alone any of the other implications. And so you've got to try and find a balance. And what we need to do now is. <clears throat> We, we also, I think of it as a pendulum. So the pendulum is going to swing and we can't let it swing so far to the other side that it actually then uh, speeds mm. up the first wave. We've got to try and get a, a happy medium. So even in the let's relax, you'll see we're not saying totally relax. We're saying a partial, partial relaxation of some of the regulations so that people can continue to put food on their table. But of course, we also are not saying let's open up even I think the first round where we actually went to how many people could be in gatherings and things, we've said let's keep the gathering numbers at the same. Uh, let's keep, sure, keep them sure. way down. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, quite frankly, we've got to, we've got to get that coastal economy going again. Um, the number of people that have, that have just lost their jobs, lost their businesses, it is, it is gone. You know, And for every day that you go past, It it grows exponentially, you know. It's a it's a wave.
0: Yeah, and I'll 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 allow us to to get into some of your proposals in terms of the relaxation of these restrictions. One of the things that we also know about this variant of five hundred one Y V two, as it's called, is that it is much more contagious than the previous strain of, of COVID-19. How much does that worry you and is a factor when you make these plans of considering a, a, a slightly greater reopening?
1: So obviously you, need, you then need to manage your system accordingly. So, I mean, when we, we were basing our second wave response on all of our learnings from the first wave, when on that evening, when Minister Mkizi and the team announced that we've got a second strain, for the next four days, day and night, our epidemiologists and advisors worked to say, what are the implications for us? What does it mean for us? You know, how many more uh, field beds, field hospital beds do we need? Uh, what about personnel, etc.? So we, we really had to re-look at it, and we re-jigged our models again. Um, And, of course, we were very worried at that stage. Uh, I'm much calmer now because our predictions and our systems have been recalibrated to work accordingly. Um, And, of course, then you've got to base it on the data. And, I mean, remember our first wave, which was uh, the garden route. And uh, so, I mean, that was the first one. And now we monitor that. Uh, We monitored very closely. Uh, They were the first into peak. And, of course, they were the first to drop off the peak. And what do those numbers look like? So, you know, right now, if I, if I go to the, to the garden route um, and I just choose any of our towns, so uh, I'll choose George, which is uh, one of the bigger towns. In George, 14 days ago, we had 63 people in hospital. It's now dropped down to 39 people. It's got a minus 38% decline. Um, if I go to, say, uh, Mossel Bay, uh, there it went from 39 down to 31. That's a minus 21% decline. But if I take the average, they're on a minus 24% decline in hospitalization. So I'm using the hospitals. And quite frankly, in that whole region of the garden region now, I've got 176 people in hospital. Um, and of course, we've then got to say, well, let's manage where the spreaders? What are they? How do we manage them? Uh, and we, we, we have a look at that. And that you'll see in our motivation says, let's not... Let's not uh, expand the numbers, so the 50 people or the percentage in your venue. um, But what we do need to do is let's at least let the curfew move back. And I'm not saying move it all the way back to midnight. I'm saying let's move it back to 11 o'clock. So so we're saying let's not move the pendulum all the way back, back to level one. Let's look at a further adjusted uh, uh, level one. So, I mean, those those are our suggestions, and that's what we've put
0: through. Of course, the curfew isn't the only uh, uh, issue that you're bringing up on the agenda in terms of where you would want certain restrictions removed. Uh, You've talked about the ban on beaches as well. What would you like to see happen there?
1: Well, quite frankly, I mean, I've never supported that ban in the first place. I said we've got management systems in place. Um, we've still got all of those management systems in place. The season is now over. So even those risks of big days, those are gone. And quite frankly, right now, it needs to be absolutely opened. I mean, we're talking about the guys who sell ice creams. We're talking about the people who rent out deck chairs. I mean, their season's gone and their their family hasn't been fed for more than a month now. Um, we, We talk about the hospitality industry linked to it. We talk about the guides. We talk about the you know, the, the, the canoe hire people, the, the surfing. I mean, we've, we, we've got people who teach people to surf, people t- teach people to swim, uh, let alone just the, the sort of open space and, and what that does just for the psyche of people um, being able to utilize that facility. So, I mean, that, that was just a given. We've always had that position. Then we've said that we definitely need to look at, uh, at the alcohol restrictions um, in two ways. The first is, you know, it's decimating the hospitality industry at the moment. Um, So how do we enable uh, not a full opening again? So we've uh, advocated the the Monday to Thursday off sales. We've advocated the on consumption. But with the curfew, we've, uh, we've put those not to say let's go way back. Let's take a partial step towards it. But it's about enabling that economy. Uh, What really, really saddens me at the moment is when I see these uh, uh, for sale and auction boards and you see this, you know, 20 years of uh, business and now this business is closed because we can't afford to pay our bonds um, and there are 36 people who work here and that whole business is gone now and we're seeing those auction boards coming up. We need to find a little bit of a midway that we protect our health system, understand we're getting a better a better. Um, kind of management of the risk of COVID-19 into the new normal, um, but at the same time finding a balance so that we don't we avert that uh, that extreme poverty and hunger on the other side.
0: We're in conversation with the Western Cape Premier, Ellen Windy, who believes that uh, the province has seen the worst of the second wave of COVID-19 and that, you know, they need to start seeing a relaxation in terms of some of the restrictions that have been put in place. Of course, Premier Wendy, one of the challenges that you are likely to face is that from the early stages, the Western Cape was largely seen as a reluctant player in terms of taking on board some of the proposals and suggestions around lockdown uh, that were being made at a national level. So, with that in mind and with, with that context, how successful do you think you're going to be?
1: Okay, so first of all, I was a reluctant player on the closing of open spaces and beaches because the science told us that people must get out of the malls, must get out of closed environments, you must get into open. That's what the science tells us, that's what people are doing around the world. Uh, in other, in other uh, arenas, we base everything on data and science, and that definitely was a space that I was reluctant. I was definitely not reluctant in the other areas. In actual fact, um, on the the document that we sent, the first uh, document and engagement on further restrictions, we, we were actually leading the charge on asking for those, for those restrictions uh, because if you remember at that stage, uh, it was the hotspot areas around the Garden Route as well as in the Eastern Cape. And then we were moving on to the next stage where we were preempting um, empting the, the wave. And uh, so, you know, definitely not reluctant in actual fact uh, going forward. I mean, I still remember a week before uh, the discussion with Minister Mkeese actually having a one-on-one with the president saying uh, in the Western Cape we need to actually have further restrictions in the Western Cape to protect our health system. So, yeah, I mean, and if people want to hold grudges based on science or whether I'm fighting for the citizens, well, I'm going to have to push past those grudges and say let's just base them on on reality, let's base them on on data, and let's base them on what's the best interest mm. for the citizens' um, of- province and, of course, the citizens of this country.
0: Of course, your latest attempt to try and secure a vaccine for the province outside of uh, the government processes that have taken place, that in itself has not really um, helped the situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is I can't just sit back. You know, I, I had a session yesterday with our internal auditors, and when you have a session as a government and you look at internal audit, you look at risk. And so we look across government, where are our risks and what are we going to do about those risks? That's how I look at management. And when it comes to vaccines, I overlay it with risk. Today, today, in my meeting today already, the discussion was, so we've got one million vaccines arriving in South Africa in January um, and we are going to have to roll them out. I still do not know how many vaccines we're getting in this province what day they are arriving, but we have to roll them out. I mean, that is unacceptable. So that is a massive big red line on the risk register. And I promise you, as the person elected, to make sure that I operate in the best interests of the citizens of this province. I'm not going to say, but hang on a second, you know, it's a national issue, I'm just going to leave it there. I cannot do that. My conscience won't let me do that. And, of course, you know, I've got... 7 million people who I've got to look after in the best interests possible and so I will I will work with uh, national government and our department will set up the best as we can, slickest operation on vaccine rollouts with the private sector and government sector in this province and when we get those vaccines we will do uh, what we need to do with those vaccines but in the meantime I cannot just sit still so I've got to say well can I, can I augment this could I add extra was exactly the same in PPE, or it was exactly the same in hospital field beds. I didn't sit back and say, well, actually, let's just see what we're going to get from national. In actual fact, national government said to me, don't worry about the funding, go and do your thing. Well, we built the biggest field hospital on the African continent. And uh, the money didn't come. It still hasn't come. But I've got to do what I've got to do in the best interest of the citizens of this province. And I cannot make excuses for that.
0: Are you still pursuing um getting a vaccine for the western cape right now yes who are you talking to
1: i'm speaking to all the same players and of course the the most important is the ones that are going to be because I, what i will not do is i will not compr- compromise on procurement processes and I, because we pride ourselves on good governance and i will not compromise um on well, we can't we can't bypass approval. so Whatever vaccine it is it has to be sapra approved. so obviously the most uh, the most urgent one to try and get extra supply would be the AstraZeneca uh, uh, vaccine and uh, you know secondly would be what what are the next vaccines that are going to be approved in our country that would make sense because it doesn't help procuring a vaccine that we know it's going to take a very long time to get SAPRA approval then I'm wasting my time. So, so it will definitely be the ones that uh, have already got approval.
0: So so that's the AstraZeneca vaccine?
1: That's number one. And then, of course, behind it would be probably uh, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, um, and uh, Moderna, because they are also sort of the next in line. They also have uh, sort of some of the better approvals that we've already gotten. And uh, Sapra have already said that, you know, in the process, they will take, into consideration uh, approval processes that uh, those companies have gone through in other parts of the world.
0: The pharmaceuticals, if, if I'm not mistaken, had committed and had said that they are going to be speaking to governments and not to um, individuals or uh, in you know just private players and you know you of course you represent the western cape government but in a national context i would imagine that it would be the national office um, that the pharmaceutical would have been referencing so how open have they been to having these discussions with you and maybe just take us a little bit into your confidence in terms of the kind of conversations that you're actually having
1: Okay, so first of all the the most frustrating is that um, you know the, the the supply is already brought up, so you've got a real you know headwind uh, but that's also given me another opportunity because I'm not only speaking to the manufacturers, I'm also speaking to other countries that have bought more than their supply so for example, in, we know that Canada has bought three vaccines for every citizen. Mm-hmm. The UK has also got three vaccines for every citizen. USA has got 1.7 vaccines. The EU, 1.8 vaccines. Australia, 2.3 vaccines. Um, so a lot of vaccines have been bought by a lot of countries. That's over supply. Um, so we're engaging with partner provinces that we've got agreements with, um, saying if you do happen to in the next two months, because all of these suppliers are saying that the the opportunity of further supply opening up. So uh, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough environment. But I've got to do my best in the interest of the citizens.
0: And and you don't feel that in any way your negotiations would get in the way of government's own talks with these entities?
1: I would never, I would never um, cause those to to cause a problem for South Africa. I'm a South African. Um, and in actual fact, uh, if I get a uh, supply of vaccine, I will add them to the South African system. Um, you know, if I get an extra couple of million doses, uh, the first person I'm going to phone is uh, Dr. Mkizi and say, Dr. Mckese, I've got some extra supply here. Who's the next in line? Do we need to get our school teachers uh, vaccinated or our taxi drivers
0: All right. Western K Premier Alan Windy. Premier, let me thank you so much for your time. I know you've been pressed for time. Uh, We do have a couple of callers that are on the line that I would have wanted to chat with you, but I know you've had to uh, move meetings around just to be able to uh, do this interview. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much, and I've got to go on to the next meeting right now.
0: All right, uh, it's 10.30. Okay. Uh, Western Cape Premier Alan Windy there. What's your take on the Western Cape's approach? After hearing that interview, do you think that they are wrong, that he is wrong to be pursuing this on his own, uh, you know, literally breaking ranks, at least with the uh, the rest of his colleagues when it comes to the provinces and saying, well, we're going to do it on our own. It's 10.30. Nandika Biokas has your latest news headlines. I'll take 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 your calls after this.